Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Well, praise the Lord. Here we are for another great Wednesday night united. We're believing God for some great, great, great things. I know that uh, there uh, in the Kansas location, you are in the midst of a refurbishing, a remodeling. They've been working on the new carpet. And so uh, we're excited about what God's doing. Every upgrade is another step into what God wants us to do and another step into the quality and excellence that God requires of us and also another step towards our new building that the Lord said over faith explosion was going to be easy, that it was going to be much easier than we thought. And so we're moving into that in the name of Jesus. Now, uh, I want to begin a new series tonight. Uh, And I want to say, first off, that is not because we exhausted the information on the previous one of moving into the plan and the purpose of God. Uh, We, of course, you cannot exhaust that subject. But as a pastor, I try to preach on things as long as the Holy Spirit wants me to because there are are seasons that you move into and uh, I need to be teaching on what the Holy Spirit uh, wants us to move into. And uh, the more that I uh, sought the Lord and thought about it, this uh, kept coming up into my spirit, give no place. Give no place. And so we're going to spend uh, ever how long the Holy Spirit has us on this, uh, looking some more at our authority, looking some more at uh, what the Bible says uh, about the devil, about his ability, about us, about our ability as believers. And uh, let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll look at some things. Now, I'm going to make a statement that could be rather uh, wide and large in scope. But I believe that nonetheless it needs to be made. And it's this, that most Christians, most Christians are ignorant of spiritual things. Most Christians are ignorant of spiritual things. Now, uh, Obviously, hoping that the present company is excluded because you are my people that go to our church. But most Christians are ignorant of spiritual things. And one of the greatest areas of ignorance for many is where their authority is concerned. And when I talk about their authority, uh, there are believers that are not even aware they have any authority. They think that whatever happens, happens, and whatever comes, comes, and, and whatever occurs, just they've just got to deal with it. I was uh, at home this morning. I came in a little bit late, and uh, I uh, had sat down to eat uh, my breakfast, and I just flipped on the television for a minute and flipped on to uh, one of our uh, uh, Christian networks, and there was a lady on there, and she was talking about 
this, this other dear woman that they had interviewed and how that, uh, you know, this woman had learned so much uh, over the, a process of time because she had found that her prayers were not always answered in the fashion that she wanted them to be. Well, right away, that goes against Scripture. You do know that where the believer's concerned, there should be no such thing as unanswered prayer. Let me say that again. You do know that where the believer is concerned, there should be no such thing as unanswered prayer. Amen. Jesus said, let a thing be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Well, Jesus himself said this. He said, if you ask the Father anything in my name, he'll do it for you. Did he say anything? I say, did he say anything? He did. He said anything. And he said, if you ask, the Father would do it. He also said, and we, we, we talked about this some last week, I believe, he also said that if you would be shamelessly persistent, you would receive what you're asking for. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Is that what he said? Then 1 John, this is one of my wife's favorite scriptures. 1 John, what does it say? It says, if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now, there are many other references along those lines, but there's, there's two blatant statements, one by Jesus and one by the Apostle John, that says if we ask anything, number one, Jesus said in his name that the Father would do it for us, and then John said, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know if he hears us, he'll give us what we desire. Now, here's, here's why I use that illustration. Why would a person then say that doesn't always answer prayer? Because they are largely ignorant of their authority. And the devil likes that. And the devil likes that because ignorance basically just means to be without understanding. That, that's the word. It's a strong word. No one likes to be called ignorant. But if, if, if you are ignorant about something, it means that you don't have an understanding of it. I just don't have a comprehension of it. Well, thank God the Bible says that through the Word of God, we can have wisdom and understanding. We can have knowledge. Amen. All through the Word of God, we're told that. James said that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally. Amen. So I'm believing over this series that the light will show up. Amen. Say it out loud. Say, the light is going to shine on my path in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians 4 Ephesians 4, verse 25, 
the Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, Wherefore, putting away lying, <coughs> speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Here it is. Neither give place to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. So Paul writes this church, and the first thing he does is tell them not to lie to each other. Seems kind of interesting. Do you have to tell believers not to lie? Well, he did. But there's a reason. And then he said, don't be angry. Is that right? Don't be angry. Be angry and, or, or, or don't sin when you're angry. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Well, he tells us why he's emphasizing this and why it's important because those two things obviously can give place to the devil. Now, notice something. He has to be given a place. That, that word place, uh, in most translations, and then when you look it up in the concordance, it is uh, like a loophole or a foothold. The Woos Bible says, and stop giving an occasion for acting or an opportunity to the devil. So foothold, uh, uh, loophole, occasion for acting or an opportunity. Notice what he says. He says, don't, what he say? Don't give it to him. And, and we'll talk about this more in this series, I'm sure. But <clears throat> so when he emphasizes not lying and not sinning when you're angry, the, the, the emphasis there is here's why. It gives a loophole or a foothold, or an opportunity for the devil to act in your life. Amen. So notice something that Paul says. He tells us, number one, there is a devil. Now I'm going to mention this over and over throughout this series. There is a devil. There, there, there are believers. There are, there are scores of believers that don't want to talk about the devil. They don't want to think about the devil. They, they, they want to act like that, that he is just uh, basically a figment of the imagination. My wife was talking to somebody one time, and they were sharing a story with her, and my wife said, that is demonic. That's of the devil. And this person made this statement. They said, oh, I don't talk about the devil. I don't talk about him. Well, you know, whether you talk about him or not, he exists. Amen. And, and whether you talk about him or, or not, he's there. And he thrives in an environment of ignorance. Amen. So Paul says, notice there is a devil and that he's looking for an occasion to act against us. He's looking for a loophole. He's looking for 
a foothold. But notice something else. Let's, let's not leave it there. Notice what else he says. We can deny him that access. Why? Because he said, don't give him that place. The Roost Bible says, stop giving him an opportunity for acting or an occasion for acting or an opportunity to the devil. Amen. And, and, and it's, it's interesting that he emphasizes these two things, anger and lying. Anger and lying. Lying is always of the devil. Always. There are no good lies. There are no lies that are okay. There are no lies that achieve a better result. Lies are deception. And deception originated with the devil. John 8 says that the devil is the father of lies. Why? Because God can't lie. He's truth. There's no lie in him. He cannot lie because he is truth. So anytime there's a lie, anytime there's a deception, anytime there's a shading of the truth, anytime there's an embellishment, anytime there's anything that goes outside the bounds of truth and gets over into the area of deception, now the devil's got a foothold. Hallelujah. That's why he lies. Remember over and over in the scripture, it says there are people that will believe a lie. They'll believe a lie. And it will end up condemning them. It, it'll bring them into judgment. And then he says, be angry, but don't sin. <clears throat> be angry, but don't sin. Now, now, why is that important? Because there are people that will get into a certain situation and they'll just get so angry they can't see straight. And, and they might cuss somebody out, say something hurtful, say something mean. And, and there have been occasions in the world where people have done physical harm to people because they were so angry and even got so angry they killed them. And then when they came down from that fit of rage, they thought, my Lord, what have I done? They were so angry they couldn't see straight. Amen. Now notice Paul says, you can be angry and not sin. As a believer, there are things that go on in the world that makes us angry. But as far as with each other, we're not supposed to give the enemy the foothold or the opportunity to act by being angry with my brother or being angry with my sister. It hurts your authority. It, it does damage to your authority. Amen. Do you see this? And so, as I said, many believers act like there's no devil at all. And the, and the enemy loves that. And the enemy loves that. 
He's content with that, that people think that he's not that big of a deal. And then there are other people that go to the other extreme. They cross over the, the middle of the road and go to the extreme in the other ditch, and they see devils everywhere. Devils behind the tree, devils behind the post, devils in their car, devils in their, devils, devils, devils. Here a devil, there a devil, everywhere a devil. Devil, devil. Amen. Well, that's an extreme. The truth is, the devil does exist. That's the truth. But here's also a truth. He can be resisted. And he cannot just do whatever he wants in the life of a believer. He needs our help and our ignorance. He needs our help and he needs our ignorance. Amen. See, Paul says, I can deny him access. If I can deny him access, he can't just do whatever he wants. Because I am in charge of whether or not he gets a foothold. Amen. Brother Hagin would say this. He said, if the devil cannot get a believer into blatant sin, he'll push them into spiritual extremism or spiritual extremes. Pastor Caldwell says spiritual effervescence and extreme. Amen. I was told one time by a minister not to talk about the devil at night because there were less Christians praying at night and the devil had more power at night. Oh, yeah. We, we, we were talking about a situation involving demons, and this minister said, oh, don't talk about the devil at night. There's less Christians praying at night, and he's more powerful at night. Now, see, that's extreme. That's extreme. Amen. Because essentially what you're saying is the devil has more authority at night and I have less. <laughs> Amen. And so that's why people get into extremes. Warfare tongues. I, I was in uh, uh, Africa one time. I, I had went over there with a group, well, group from the church. And I had several meetings scheduled over there, and we had a, a big crusade to kick the meeting off in a, in a town on the coast in Accra, Ghana, called Zita, D-Z-I-T-A, Zita. And uh, it was uh, a long way from Accra, at least it seemed like. Over, uh, in those countries, uh, even a 100-mile trip seems like a long time because you have no infrastructure. And... So anyway, we were a long ways away, and, and they had set up the, the stage with the stage facing the, uh, uh, with the back of the stage to the ocean, and all the people were on the beach in front of us, and it was, it was a big gathering, huge gathering. And uh, I was going to be one night late uh, because of the way my flights were. I couldn't be at the first night of services, but the team that I had assembled was there. And the first night of that meeting, uh, <clears throat> there was a lady that was demon-possessed. And she came dancing up ar around the stage and, and was doing her incantations and doing different things. And uh, when I got there, a couple of the people from the uh, uh, team that I was there with 
They said, oh, pastor, they said, uh, yes, she came up and she was evidently demon-possessed. And I said to him, I said, well, what'd you do? And, she's, and, and this person said, uh, well, we just begin to pray in tongues, in warfare tongues, because that's how you do spiritual warfare. Well, here's exactly what I heard in my spirit. The devil doesn't understand tongues, and he doesn't. So there is no such thing as warfare tongues. I can't do warfare in tongues. I don't exercise authority through tongues. Amen. The next night we were at that meeting and the same lady danced up by the stage and she, she was taking her shoe off and, and her intent was to, to put that shoe by the stage and, and it, was just, it was just the devil trying to be a distraction. And she was right there by me and these ladies and of course these ladies started praying in tongues immediately and I've had people say, what did you do? I stepped to the edge of that stage and I said, you stop it in Jesus' name, go sit down. I wasn't on a microphone, nobody, nobody could hear me at large, but I said, you stop that in Jesus' name, get, out, get away from here and go sit down. And people have asked me, what'd she do? She stopped and went and sat down. Now why? Because that's the exercising of authority. Give him no place. I've, I've seen that numerous times in other men and women of God's life. I'm just using my my personal example, because uh, that is what I personally saw. Amen. Uh, he'll push him into spiritual extremism. Throwing up demons. Do you know there's not one scriptural reference to throwing up a demon? Not one. There are illustrations of, of a demon throwing somebody to the ground before they left. We see that in the ministry of Jesus. But you have not one scriptural example of someone throwing up a demon. But yet there are churches that have buckets that they bring out when people are being prayed for because they're going to throw up a demon. I had a friend said, Philip, if they did throw up a demon in the bucket, what would they do? Pinch it? Well, now think about that for a moment. How absurd does that seem? If you look at it spiritually and biblically, how absurd does that seem? Now, why is that important where your authority is concerned? Because if the enemy can get people focused on that and they think that's what authority is, then they're ignoring him. And they're over here into spiritual extremism. And they'll pray for somebody until they throw up. And then whatever they throw up, they'll say, oh, it's a demon. Or pizza. Amen. Well, we're going to do battle in high places. We're going to go to the highest point in the city. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go to the highest place in the city and do battle in the, in the high places, in the heavenly places. That's spiritual extremism. It, it, it moves people away from being able to focus on their authority. 
I've been in the ministry and I've been in church my whole life. My whole life. And, And I say this and I'm not being arrogant. There's not too much I haven't seen. I've seen it. Uh, I've seen the Never Die movement, the Kingdom Now movement, uh, uh, you know, and then it comes back around and it takes on another name. Amen. Kingdom Now, Never Die, all the same. In other words, they preach that no, all, all believers, you're, you're never going to die uh, in the sense physically on the earth. You're going to perfect the earth and bring Jesus back and we're going to bring all the governments under his authority and then when we have it all under authority then we'll say okay now you can come back Jesus well the problem with that doctrine is it goes against scripture because the Bible says no one knows the day of his return not even him it says Jesus doesn't even know Jesus himself said I no one knows the day and the hour he said only the father knows Amen. So going to the highest point, there, 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 there was a, a man one time that I was a friend with and uh, in Rosedale, Kansas, uh, just down 35 there, uh, there's a place in Rosedale called the Rosedale Arch, and it's on the highest hill in, in Rosedale. Well, it doesn't take much to be on the highest hill in Rosedale. There's not many hills. But here's the point these churches would go up and take authority from that hilltop because that was the high places in their city. Amen. Well, the Bible says in Ephesians that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And it goes through and tells about principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. Notice, it says the spiritual wickedness is in the heavenly or the high places. It doesn't say you go up to the high places to do battle with them. The earth is the Lord's and He's given it to the children of men. You can stand in your bedroom, in your living room, in your car, on your job and take authority over those foundations of power that the enemy has tried to erect over your city and over your family and pull them down. How? By exercising your authority and giving the devil no place. Don't have to climb a mountain, rent a plane, go up to the tallest building. Amen. Hallelujah. I've heard people say, clapping is spiritual warfare. Because when you clap, you split the ears of the enemy. Isn't that interesting that Scripture says it's shouting and praising God with your voice that splits the ears of the enemy? Amen. There's only one reference to clapping in the entire Old Testament that refers to praising God. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God, shout unto God, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. There's not one reference to clapping in the entire New Testament. Not one reference. Not in terms of praising God. 
or affecting the devil. Yeah, but the sound. Well, but the reference that I find to splitting the ears was in Joshua when they were taking the city of Jericho and it says it came to pass that the priest made a long blast with the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout. That word shout means to split the ears with sound. Hallelujah. Now why is this important? Spiritual extremism. Oh, let's, let's, let's clap and split the ears of the enemy. It's not what it said. We are told in the Bible, in the New Testament, to be filled with the Spirit and speak. To speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are told to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. How do you resist the devil? With your physical hands, with clapping, with kicking? Put him in, a, in, a, in an arm bar and make him tap? What do we, how, what? No, you, you resist the devil with your God-given avenue of authority called your words. I give you no place in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know I'm taking a minute on this. But I need you to see this. Because all these extremes will just be recycled. They'll just be recycled. Hallelujah. People calling themselves the militant church. And coming to church in fatigues. And stomping. Marching. It's not scriptural. We're not the militant church. That sounds good, but that's not who we are. That's not who we are. All of these are useless, but they persist in the body because people think these are spiritual activities. What did I say the very opening statement? Most Christians are ignorant of spiritual things. And what these are in reality are spiritual extremes that get the focus off the real problem. We're not the militant church. We're the triumphant church. Notice notice this in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Am I helping you? It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in heavenly places in Christ. Notice Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when people say we're a militant church, what they're saying is that we, we, we are a body that's not yet seated in heavenly places in Christ. 
we're battling to overcome an enemy that has not yet been defeated. It's not what Scripture says. And we'll get more into this in this series. Colossians says that the enemy has been stripped of his power. Hebrews chapter 2 says that Jesus destroyed him that has the power of death, that is the devil. The book of Luke, Jesus said that, the, that when the stronger than the strong man came, he would take away his armor that he trusted in. Amen. We, we are called to fight the good fight of faith. We are not trying to be a, a, a triumphant. We came into this triumphant. We came riding on the shoulders of Jesus' victory. And then Jesus said, I'm going away. Now you occupy, you do business until I return. And he gave us the marching orders in Mark chapter 16. He said, you go into every man's world and preach the gospel. Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Cast out devils or demons. Are you with me? Does that sound like a militant church or a triumphant church? Triumphant church. Amen. I knew a minister that would preach on the militant church and dress in fatigues while he was preaching. I've known of whole ministries that, that, that at their services, everybody would come dressed in military fatigues and they would yell and scream till, they, till their voices were hoarse and stomp and yell and scream and accomplished nothing except spiritual extremism. The devil is not intimidated by that because it has no power. There's no power there. It's, listen to me, it's just noise. Just noise. These people know the devil exists and they're extreme in their beliefs, but they are no threat. I'll say it again. These people know the devil exists and they are extreme in their beliefs, but they're no threat. Amen. Now the other extreme, we talked about a little before, are people who want to act like there is no devil. There are no demons. Amen. Well, I know the devil exists because the Bible says so, and I know that demons exist. Number one, because the Bible says, but number two, because I've cast them out of too many people. Amen. Are, are you with me tonight? See, there's, there's, there's nothing ever to be afraid of. The authority that we've been given, the Bible says we've been given authority over all the power of the enemy. Is that right? And nothing shall by any means hurt us. To act as if you have no enemy is to be unprepared. And, and hear me tonight. Hear your pastor. He's not just going to leave you alone. 
Just because you act like he doesn't exist doesn't mean that you and he are going to be on good terms and because you don't talk about him, he's not going to mess with you. Amen. He destroys people's lives every day that are living for him. Amen. He destroys people. He steals, kills, and destroys every day from people that we would say was on his side. He'll never just leave you alone. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now understand what I mean by that. I'm not telling you that there's something to be concerned about. What I'm saying is to live like the enemy's never going to try to put a thought in your mind or try to make situations adverse is a fallacy. You're looking for trouble. You're looking to be defeated. Amen. 2 Corinthians 2 and 11, it says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us because we're not ignorant of his devices. I like this because the word device means his purpose, his thought, his intellect, or his disposition. We're not ignorant of his purpose. We're not ignorant of his thoughts. We're not ignorant of his intellect or his disposition. Now we're going to talk about some of these tonight. But let let me say this about intellect. I've heard people say this, oh, the devil's an idiot. Listen, listen, I, I understand what they're saying, but hear me, hear me. He's been around for millennia. He is very cunning and has a very deep satanic wisdom, especially where human beings are concerned. That's why Paul said, you put on every day the whole armor of God so you can stand against the wiles, the strategies, the stratagems of the devil. Amen. That's his intellect. He might might be, uh, uh, if we could use this word, stupid in the sense that he... uh, denied God and rose up and rebelled against God. But to take him and his cunning lightly is to flirt with disaster. Amen. I've had people say, well, I never worry about the devil. I know, boy, he likes that. I don't worry about him either. But I'm ready. Say out loud, say, I'm ready. Amen. Now notice this. John chapter 10 and verse 10. So we know how the devil thinks. We know his disposition. Why is this important? If I know how he thinks, I can know his intent. (coughs) If I know how he thinks, I can know his intent. John 10, 10, you've heard it a number of times. What's it say? The thief cometh not but for to steal, 
and to kill and to destroy. Is that what your Bible says? So we know then, according to Scripture, this is His purpose all day, every day. Steal, kill, and destroy. That's His purpose. Notice John chapter 8 and verse 44. Now why are we taking time to describe these things? Because you need to know how he operates for this one simple reason. So you can be ready. John 8 and 44. You are of your father the devil. The lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaketh of his own. He is a liar and the father of it. Notice these two words that Jesus uses to describe him. Murderer and liar. Murderer and liar. Would you trust a person to leave you alone that was either one of these things? Let me help you out. Correct answer is no. If you knew someone was a murderer and a liar, would you ever trust them? Would you ever think they'll just leave me alone? How, how did Jesus know he was a murderer? He must have known somebody he murdered. How did he know he was a liar? He'd heard him lie. Amen. I was staying with a family member one time. I was just a teenager. And uh, it was in the afternoon. And I walked by the kitchen. And uh, one family member was on the phone. Uh, I, I was staying with uh, uh, an aunt and uncle. And uh, now, I'll say, granted, this is, before, this is before my uncle was saved. But he was sitting on the phone. And, and he was talking to a friend he hadn't seen in a number of years. And a friend on the other end of the line asked him what kind of car he had. And this was back in the early 80s. And he said, uh, oh, I got an 84 Thunderbird. And I was, standing, I was standing in the kitchen door, and my aunt just looked at me. She said, listen to that man lie. He didn't. He didn't have an 84 Thunderbird. I don't know what model he had, but it wasn't, an, it wasn't a new one. It wasn't an 84. Now, why is, why, why is that important? It, it gave me pause about everything that I heard from then on. Do you hear me? Because now there was a question, are they going to tell me the truth? Should you always believe that the devil is lying to you? What's that? Yes, you should. Why? He is a liar. And Jesus said he makes it up from his own lying nature. Amen. 
So recognize who's talking to you. A murderer and a liar. Now, go back to one of our original points. So why do you want to give him no place? Because he's a murderer and a liar. He goes about every day to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Come on, hallelujah. Can he do it to you? Can he just do it whenever he wants to you? No, no, no. A thousand times no. He cannot because we've been given power and authority over all the power of the enemy. I can resist him. I can refuse to give him place. I can cast him out. I can stop him dead in his tracks. Amen. But I have to use my authority by not giving him place. Amen. Look at 1 Peter 5 and 8. 1 Peter 5 and 8. And notice what it says. Uh, don't worry about the devil because he doesn't want anything to do with you. Is that what it says? Oh, no, no. It says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, Roaming about seeking whom he may devour. Is that what he says? Your adversary. So he's looking to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a murderer and a liar. And Peter says he's my adversary. Mm. This word adversary is taken from two Greek words. And when you put them together, the word simply means against. The one that's against you. But we're told that in older classical Greek, it was used to denote the mental condition of a man or a woman that was on the edge of insanity. They were crazy. Amen. The second part of the word adversary is taken from a Greek word that is the root word of the Greek word meaning righteousness. And it refers to justice, rightness, fairness, and righteousness. When you put those words together, here's what we see. The devil is one who is adamantly opposed to righteousness. Now, I'm not going to teach on this right now. We don't have time. But that, that is one reason why over hundreds, if not thousands of years of church history, the fact and the revelation that you are the righteousness of God in Christ has been so fought by the devil and by religion because the devil knows the moment you realize that you're in right standing with God, your ability to resist him and deny him place multiplies. Because someone that doesn't believe they're right with God will not exercise their authority. 
But when you begin to believe that you're right with God, you'll start exercising your authority. Amen. So the devil is not just passively opposed to righteousness or rightness. He's actively pursuing them. He hates them. Amen. Let me just say, in case you don't know, the devil hates you. He doesn't like you. The devil hates mankind. He hates human beings. And that's why, in one way or another, he tries to devour us, listen to me, with present temptations or past memories. Why does he do that? To assault your sense of righteousness. Well, if you were righteous, you wouldn't have messed up yesterday. Or if you were righteous, you wouldn't have thought that thought. Or if you were righteous, you wouldn't have done this. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about being the righteousness of God if people knew what you were five years ago or what you did ten years ago. Nobody knows what you did ten years ago. That's an assault against your sense of righteousness. That's the enemy attempting to get a foothold. Give him no place. Amen. Well, how do I respond? Oh, praise God. Thank God I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know what, Mr. Devil? Everything that you said, yep, I did it. I, di- I, I mean, I, I mean it, it occurred. I can't deny it. But the person that did that is dead. They're buried in Christ. They've been raised to new life in the name of Jesus. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. His ultimate goal is that we would be left with no confidence in three areas, before God, before the devil, and before man. That's his ultimate goal, is that you have no confidence in those areas. But notice, there again in 1 Peter 5, we read verse 8. But let's read verse 9. Whom resist? Oh, do what? What are we supposed to do? It does it say resist? Help me out tonight. Does it say resist? Whom resist? So This one that's roaming about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, trying to assault our sense of righteousness. This one that is on the verge of being insane can be resisted. Hallelujah. So the devil, despite his nature and intentions, can be resisted. Whom resists steadfast in the faith? You know what the word resist means? It just simply means this, to set yourself against. That's what scripture says in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 when it says, uh, having done all to stand, stand. And isn't it interesting when it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, might, dominion, against. We're setting ourselves against them. 
That's why you have on those killer shoes of peace. Amen. That have, the, that have those, those uh, 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 large cleats on the bottom. And you're setting yourself in the, you're an immovable force. Because I'm setting myself against. Now I want you to look at the simplicity of the language. He's very simple in saying, he wants to devour you. But he's very simple in saying, resist him. Resist him. So if the enemy gets a foothold, what happened? He wasn't resisted. Amen. People want to act like that the activity of the devil in their life is some kind of accident that they couldn't do anything about. That's not Bible. I choose to not do anything about it. Amen. I said I choose to not do anything about it. If you know, if there, if there was a report come across the news or to your phone or however you get your information and it said it has been reported that there is a crazy murderer on the loose and we're calling you to let you know that he was seen directly behind your house. Are you just going to sit there and do nothing? Well, in my house, we would go get some things to resist. And we probably wouldn't barricade the door. We'd probably go out in the yard and look for him. Is that right? Why? I have a family. I have a daughter. I have a wife. They need, they need protecting. I cannot risk this crazy murderer getting in my home. You cannot risk not resisting. Oh, glory. Now look at James 4, James 4 and 7. I want you to see this. I'm almost done. <laughs> James 4 and 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now watch it say, resist the devil, and he transforms into a 20-foot monster that's breathing fire. Is that what it says? No. It says, resist the devil, and he'll flee. Amen. A lot of what people think about the devil and demons, they got from Hollywood. 
I remember years ago, I've never seen this movie. I would never see it. It wasn't allowed in my home or, or matter of fact, when, when I was a boy growing up, we rarely went to the movies, if we ever went. I know that we did, but what I'm saying is, is especially when I was in my formative years, we never went. And there was a movie in the 1970s, it was called The Exorcist. And I had a cousin that went to see that movie. And I wasn't there at their house. My sister was. She was spending the summer with them. And when he went to see that movie, he came home so frightened. His, his, his uh, bedroom was in the basement of the house. He wouldn't go to his bedroom. He slept on the recliner. Now, you know, we might hear that and kind of giggle. But what was that movie? What was that movie intended for? Who inspired that? A godly person? No, the devil. Why? Because again, I've never seen the movie, but from what I've been told, all through the movie, the devil had the power. All through the movie, the devil had the authority. The devil ran the man of God off. Amen. And that's, and that's, and that's what you see. The devil's this big, huge fire-breathing monster. Amen. I've even heard uh, 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 Christian people put out books about how demons beat them up and threw them around. And, I mean, Christian people supposedly taking authority over them in the name of Jesus. People say, what is that? Folly and fiction. Folly and fiction. I don't care who wrote it. Never one time, never one time do, do you see demons grabbing a hold of Jesus, grabbing a hold of Peter, grabbing a hold of Paul. Well, what about the sons of Sceva? Yes, unsaved men that were trying to take natural authority over a demon. And that demon knew they had no authority or right over them. And the demon didn't jump on them, the man jumped on them. This is important. I say this is important. Why? Because the devil can't just do whatever he wants to a child of God. Amen. Oh, glory. So when we resist the devil, he flees. You know, Brother Hagin said, uh, in many, I've heard him say it many times, that, you know, the office that he operated in, the office of the prophet, one of the gifts of that office very often is the discerning of spirits, which is the ability to see into the spirit realm. And uh, over and over again, he said somebody would come up for prayer and he would discern that it was demonically influenced and he would see in the spirit realm and over and over again I've heard him say that it looked like a little monkey like creature not exactly a monkey but like like that little monkey and he would point to it and say you got to go in Jesus name and that little demon would whimper and say well I don't want to but I know if you tell me I have to and he said I'd tell him no you got to go right now in Jesus name and he said they'd fall off in the floor and lay there whimpering 
Amen. Now, do you take them lightly? No, they were holding people in bondage. But notice what happens when you confront them in the name of Jesus. They flee. Amen. One minister was having, uh, seemed like trouble in his church. He'd, he would preach and it's just like the, there was no revelation flowing. And guest ministers would come there and they'd feel the same thing. And he said one day, he said, I'm going to break this. And he was out in his church praying. And he was laying on the altar just praying. And he said, all of a sudden I looked up and I saw up in the rafters like a, a look, he said, it looked like a baboon up in the rafters. And he said, I recognized right away that's a demon spirit. And he said, I just pointed, laying there on the altar, pointed up in the rafters and said, hey, fella, you got to come out of there in Jesus' name. And he said, that demon dropped down out of the rafters onto the podium. And he said, no, you come down here in Jesus' name. He jumped down there in the aisle. I know this is dramatic, but he saw it. And the man said, you got to leave here in Jesus' name. You not only leave this building, you got to leave the grounds. And he said he followed that demon spirit down the aisle. And every now and then that demon spirit would turn around and look at him so pitiful. And he said, no, you got to leave. you got to get out of here in Jesus' name. He ran him out the door, down the steps. He stopped on the sidewalk. He said, no, you keep going till you get off the property. And he said, I watched him run down the street, run down about a block, run into a bar. He said, next night that bar burned down. Amen. But man, the revelation started flowing in that church. Ministers would come and say, my Lord. Brother Hagin said he went back there and he told the man, it's so easy to preach. What in the world happened? And he told him that story. What is the adversary, the resistor, he's, he's, he's resisting the things of righteousness. But here's what I want you to see. When the pastor just laying there on his altar said, hey, you got to come down out of there and get out of here. What did he do? Start blowing smoke, lightning come out of his fingertips, baring his fangs. No, he dropped down on the ground and left. Jesus confronted a man that ever how many demons you believe were in him, there was a number of them. And the man came and fell at the feet of Jesus and worshipped him. And Jesus rebuked those demons. <coughs> and he asked them what their name was. And you remember they said legion, because we're many. Now watch. Jesus said, you got to go. And they said, what? Uh, please don't send us out of the country. Can we go into those pigs over there? Now, you know, people have often wondered, well, you know, why didn't Jesus care about the pigs? Well, what good Jew did care about pigs? <laughs> they were an unclean animal. Jews didn't eat them. So it didn't matter. But notice something. They asked him. When Jesus would encounter people, he encountered the man at the, at the temple, possessed by a demon. Jesus walked in the room and the demon began to cry out. What do I have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ? Have you come to torment me before the time? 
What did Jesus say? Hold your peace and come out of him. What did he do? Came out. Now, wait a minute. Is that resisting? Is that taking your authority? Did the devils, did the demons have an option? Not one. Not one option. They had to go. I've, had, I've heard believers talk about manifestations of demon spirits in their house. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No, that is your house. That is your property. You draw a bloodline about it and you tell the devil you cannot come on my property. There'll be no fear. There'll be no, there'll be no, there'll be no manifestations in my home. And then you keep the door shut. Look at James 2 and verse 19. I'm taking a minute. And I haven't really expounded on a lot of what's in these pages of notes. We, we, can't, we can't get through all this in one meeting. <clears throat> Remember here in James 2, 19, he talks here to this man and he says, concerning the one true God, you believe there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. What do they do? Rise up in rebellion. Believe and tremble. That word tremble means to be struck with extreme fear. To shudder. To be horrified. So the demons think about God and they shudder. They tremble. They get horrified. Amen. When James said in James 4, 7, resist the devil and he'll flee from you, that word flee means to seek safety by flight. To seek safety by flight. It means to escape safely out of danger. Now here's my question for you, faith builders. From these verses, who's the one that's really in trouble? The devil. He's the one looking for a safe place. Right? To escape safely out of danger. Danger of what? Danger of our authority. He's the one that's afraid of us. But what is he? A liar. Is he ever going to tell you he's afraid of you? No. Why? He's a liar. Is he ever going to act like he's afraid of you? Not because he wants to, but because he doesn't have a choice. He's got to go. I'm telling you, demon spirits will resist for a time, but they must let go. Why? We have the authority. I said we have the authority. Now, one last scripture, John 14 and verse 30. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, the prince of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. The NIV says he has no effect on me. The Living Bible says he has no power over me. Now, let me ask you something, my family. Is this possible? Is it possible for the enemy to have no effect on you?
Is it possible for him to have no power over you? Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. Why? Because the same authority that Jesus exercised and could say, he has no power over me and has nothing in me, that same authority was given to you when he said, behold, I give unto you power. Remember, understanding your authority, which means authority. Behold, I give you authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the authority of the devil. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Oh, glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Give him no place. Give him no place. Tell your neighbor, say, give him no place. Glory be to God. And uh, we've got obviously a lot more that we need to get into where that's concerned. But that's a good starting place. I've said this for years. That's the good thing about being a pastor. We'll just come back Sunday and do it all over again. Amen. We'll stand up, everybody. Praise the Lord.